MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. All right. Hello. Welcome to the show. If that intro by our super producer, Noel, was familiar, then that means you are in the right place, ladies and gentlemen. This is stuff they don't want you to know. I'm Ben. You're probably wondering where Matt is. He is off on an adventure that uh, maybe we'll get to in the course of this show. But in place of Matt today, we have not one, but two very special guests from tech stuff from brain stuff from forward thinking uh, i don't even know how you guys found time to come on this show jonathan strickland and lauren vogelbaum no, ben we we found time because we literally just recorded another tech stuff episode with you like like 10 minutes ago thanks for not giving away our time travel scheme that was good yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that we have got that out of the bag out of the bag man which is only going to be funny if you listen to the other episode yes uh <laughs> right because this is a sequel Yes, mm-hmm. yes, a companion piece, a, a sister episode, if you it will. It is, it is. Now, uh, you guys were kind enough or had poor enough taste to have me on your show uh, just a few minutes ago when we recorded a great episode on how to surf the web anonymously or whether it's even possible. Mm-hmm. And this led us to uh, something that we thought was right up the stuff they don't want you to know is Allie, because listeners out there now... You guys know, as well as everybody else does now, that it turns out the United States government in particular was uh, putting a lot more energy into tracking people than we had all thought. Yeah. I mean, even if you take it at face value where, you know, you have this this system, specifically the NSA we're talking about here with the and prison specifically within yes. the NSA. Yes. Mm-hmm. That if even if you take it at face value, that what they were looking for were foreign agents. So if you are a United States citizen, then in theory, you mm-hmm. would not, a United States citizen who is not involved in one of these schemes, you would not be considered a foreign agent and therefore uh, not part of this surveillance. Even if you take that at face value, they would look for people who they did identify as foreign agents and the people that that those folks talk to, right? Yeah, they played the uh, Kevin Bacon game. Yeah, and if you've ever played the Kevin Bacon game, you know that it it gets pretty easy to start linking two people you never thought would have had a connection to each other together 
uh, it doesn't really take that many uh, levels of separation, right? Uh, right. And furthermore, they're really collecting information on everyone and sorting through it in order to find these specific people. But the fact that they are collecting and storing this information about all of us mm-hmm. uh, is creepy. It's problematic. So, again, even taken on face value, it's 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 troublesome. And then when you realize the actual methodology, it becomes downright concerning. I mean, it's not just that, oh, well, there's some issues here from a technological perspective. The very methodology mm-hmm. is problematic. I think that's well said. So one of my first questions for you guys before we really get into this is uh, if, let's say, 20 years ago, if someone had come up to you in 1994 and said, the government is watching everything and it's just going to watch more, would you have, would you have thought it was sort of conspiracy bunk or would you have thought there was uh, a possibility of it happening? I would have thought bunk for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's largely because, uh, well, I mean, in 94, the the capability just wasn't there. I don't think. Yeah. when you're talking about how much data gets uh, created or transferred or copied or transmitted, however you want to look at it, it's an astronomical number. It is an enormous number. Just Let's just take YouTube as the example of data uh, creation. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so on YouTube, every single minute that passes, more than 100 hours of video footage is being uploaded to YouTube. Some of that's duplicate footage, but it doesn't really matter. That's a huge amount of information. Now, just kind of extrapolate. Imagine that the entire Internet, this network of computer networks, is filled with people who are either creating information or accessing it in some way. Mm-hmm. And the accessing of information does in itself create a certain amount of metadata, yeah, metainformation. Yeah. There's information about who who accessed what and when. This is such an enormous amount that most of us would think – that being able to uh, to capture it and filter it and make any meaning of it would be a gargantuan task beyond our capabilities. But right. it is a gargantuan task, but it's not, as it turns out, beyond our capabilities. Exactly. It turns out that our, our technology our, is sufficiently sophisticated enough to be able to weed through that kind of stuff. Or at least we're working very hard on it. I mean, not the three of us at this table no, that I'm personally right. aware of. Well, and and Google is a perfect example of how we should have really kind of reevaluated this idea that it's Mm -hmm. just too big, right? Because Google has created a business that, for at least the forward-facing part of their business, that that's the search engine. You know, arguably, you would say that a real business is advertising, but but the search engine is the thing, the product that we're all familiar with. Yeah. And it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's a really good search engine if you're trying to find something specific. And once we realize how much information is out there and how Google has developed an algorithm that can effectively find the stuff you actually want to see, then you start to realize, oh, I guess it really is possible to build in that a similar kind of tool that could be useful if you were looking for signs of activity mm-hmm. uh, if you happen to be an enormous government organization that is in charge of discovering cryptic messages sent between foreign agents that could potentially affect your country. Or friends of foreign agents. Yes. Or people who know friends of foreign agents. Yes, that's the problem is that this this ripples outward, right? Mm-hmm. If, if it were just the foreign agents, that becomes an issue because then you have to be able to, to reliably identify a foreign agent versus someone who is not a foreign agent. Right. But then if you go one ripple outward, who are these people talking to and why? Mm-hmm. Well, I can understand why you would be interested in that. But there are going to be people in that that one ripple outward who are not in any way connected with anything nefarious. But they're going to get swept up in that surveillance anyway. Mm-hmm. If you go a further ring out. Go for it. That's an enormous number of people. This is what Facebook is completely built upon. The whole idea of that social network Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever see any of their presentations, you just see how this 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 one small group of people who have these interconnections between each other become this ginormous mass of people when you just go out a couple of s- steps. Yeah. Now, this I'm I'm glad that we're talking about this because this is something that escapes a lot of people that the uh, the government agency, the NSA, has automated the collection and mm-hmm 
analysis of this of this stuff for people who are concerned you know the NSA is listening in on my phone calls and reading my emails they're taking your phone calls and emails and they're keeping them like like you said Lauren and what they'll do is if you pop up on a different algorithm then they'll actually have a human like any other big organization from yeah. a call center to the FBI, it's kind of difficult to actually get to a human. You have to go through a few steps. You yes. Know? You got to dial one, wait for stuff. You have, you and listen to a robot voice. And I hate it. Just a side note. I hate it when the, uh, the automated line won't let you just push a button and you have to stand there wherever you are and look really stupid and go operator. Yeah. Operator. <laughs> or you're saying yes. Yes. No. Yes. That, yeah. Yeah. That, and everybody's so solemn. We all just said the same yes. But, um, but, but moving from this, we, before we go too deep on the government, we should make a point that they're not the only people looking at web activity. When we talk no, about being anonymous. Not. Yeah. I mean, uh, companies obviously are looking mm-hmm. at a lot of web activity as well for multiple reasons. Uh, mostly companies are looking at activity in order to make more money. Uh, right. They want to be able to sell you stuff better or to sell you as a consumer to an advertising company so that that advertising company can sell you stuff better. Yeah. Yeah. It all comes down to, you know, where are the dollars? Where are uh, they coming yes. from and where are they going to? And so, uh, we, the users end up playing a big role in that. I mean, we, we are the ones who generate revenue for companies mm-hmm. and, you know, if it weren't that way, the Internet would be a very different place. For one thing, it would not be nearly as robust as it is, right? It would That's it would true. be mainly limited to communication lines between things like research institutes and the government, which, big surprise, that's what originally the Internet was all about. Mm-hmm. Right, back when it was uh, ARPANET. ARPANET, yeah. ARPANET was essentially connections between scientific research institutes, universities, and government installations, and that was it. And And that was because, you know, that was – what it was built for. It was built to be this really fast communications and, and networking ability mm-hmm. so that people could share things very effectively. What it's grown into is this crazy world that melds things like entertainment and commerce and mm-hmm. communications all into one big package, which in many ways is legitimately awesome. Obviously, we wouldn't have jobs if there weren't an Internet, or at least we wouldn't have these yes. jobs. Yeah. We are on the Internet right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you guys get paid. I'm here for uh, community service. Well, your, your internship has lasted longer than any other I've ever seen. That's true. Hey, will you sign off for my hours before this of is course. over? Uh, thanks, guys. Um, one question, though, that a lot of people uh, will have is the following. Just a little bit of background here. Um, the question is, is surfing anonymously legal? Uh, the background here is that uh, often – the desire to surf anonymously is depicted as one that is inherently sinister. That is the same sort of uh, uh, perception that is given to things like torrents mm-hmm. now, or peer-to-peer networks. Peer-to-peer networks, as they are by themselves, are not sinister or shady or illegal, right? A peer-to-peer network is just a means of distribution of files. Uh, right, but when you start distributing files that you don't have the right to distribute that's via that where, network, that's where the illegal activity comes in. And then you end up sort of casting this shadow across the entire technology. So there are companies, like music and movie companies, that just say peer-to-peer networks alone are bad mm-hmm. uh, because those are a lot of the ways that that illegal file sharing got spread around, you know, just a few years ago. Now it's not even that big of a deal because you can get pretty much everything in a billion different places. But, uh, you know, if you're talking about just trying to surf anonymously, it all depends upon where you are in the world. Yeah. In the United States, it's not a big deal. There's no law that you'd be breaking by trying to hide your IP address. The laws that you would be breaking would be if you tried to do anything illegal while you were doing that. Or even if you weren't, whether or not you're trying to hide what you're doing, if you're doing something illegal, that's against the law. Kind of uh, easy. Right, right. Yeah, like like you like you don't have to use Tor to buy drugs. There are many other reasons that you can use Tor. Yeah. But if you do buy drugs. That's against the law. And then you, if you are caught, you could be punished for it. Or well, you will be if you're caught. I see. Yeah. So, so here in the West, in the United States, Canada, and so on, uh, there is not a law against, 
uh, surfing the web anonymously. I don't, I don't think it's even against the law to, uh, go into some of the deep web stuff to which we alluded, um, which you guys have covered in a previous episode. Sure. Matt and I have covered as well. Uh, we're talking about the Silk Road and, and not the historic one through Central Asia. Right. Uh, but as you said, other countries have different perspectives. Like you've got a great example about China. Sure. Yeah. China, they have a, a program in China. Uh, that is called the Golden Shield Project, also more commonly known as the Great Firewall of China. Uh, and the reason for this is that it's an effort um, on part of the Chinese government to censor and and have surveillance over mm-hmm. Internet activities within China. So the, the main purpose of it is to prevent objectionable material, as defined by the Chinese government, right. from getting to Chinese citizens using the Internet. So, uh, right. They flat out block some websites. Yep. Sure. And some search terms and yep. stuff like that. And some, yeah, things like Facebook. Like, you can't access Facebook in China, uh, use it if you were just trying to connect to a Chinese ISP and go through, through Chinese. Through completely normal methods. Yeah, right. domain name server. So if you were to, if you were to just use like plug and play, you're, mm-hmm. you're just trying to use your browser to get to certain places, you would find out there's some websites you just cannot access that way in China. Uh, in order to access those websites, you have to circumvent the protections mm-hmm. that have been put in place. Uh, in general, this is not seen as a huge deal, right? It's, it's, right, it's, yeah. it's frowned upon. You're not supposed to do it. But it, as far as I am aware, no one has been, uh, uh, persecuted and or prosecuted for trying to circumnavigate the firewall of China. However, if you were to do something such as post messages that are, uh, anti-Chinese government to right. websites, yeah. Then that is very much considered against the law and you will, they will look for you and if they find you and catch you, they'll punish you. Yeah. Right. And it might also be used as perhaps a pretext for arresting someone, at least in that country. Yes. Uh, kind of the same way the tax evasion was the crime for which Capone was ultimately arrested. Yeah. The, in, in some cases, depending again upon what country you are in, mm-hmm. uh, this might be the, the door that opens up so that they can get you for what they really want you for. Right. right. And, and when we see Say we're we're not especially picking on China. Oh, although I do have to say, there's one really cool thing that that freaks me out a bit. And if you are on just the regular, you know, the version of the interstate uh, internet in China, every so often these two cartoon police characters will pop up on the screen just to let you know that they're they're looking out for you guys. Oh. They're protecting you. Yeah. Wow. They're protecting and serving by making sure you're not doing anything wrong. We, Actually, what they're doing is they're protecting you by making sure all that terrible information that would yeah. flood, flood your browser if, right. if it only had the chance because they know you are an upstanding Chinese citizen mm-hmm. and would never try to access that kind of stuff. But that stuff is trying to get at you no matter what. And those cops, they are making sure that you are going to be safe from it. They also have blue eyes, which is very weird. Their names are Jingjing and Cha-Cha. It's uh, based on a pun that means police in Chinese. So check... Check it out and Google it if you have a chance. <laughs> Just remember that China will know you looked at it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, wow. So uh, earlier, um, we we mentioned Tor, the onion router, right? Right. And uh, what I wanted to ask about is uh, if you could, because you guys are the experts here on uh, technical matters, if you could outline briefly for our listeners, uh, what's the difference between like a privacy mode on a browser and something like Tor? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, in, in brief, a privacy browser uh, on your home computer does absolutely nothing to to protect what you are doing from anyone aside from someone who is looking purely at your home computer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The I'm pri- text Matt real quick. <laughs> <laughs> While you're doing that, I'll, I'll cont- continue yeah, to do, explain. So yeah, the privacy mode, what it's doing is it's preventing stuff that would normally show up in, say, your search history, your browsing history, cookies. It's preventing all that kind of stuff from happening so that someone who gets access to your machine can't just look and see what it is you've been up to. However, anyone who can see the traffic that's going across your local network, Mm -hmm. uh, that includes perhaps other machines that are also on the local network, your router, the modem, your ISP. Uh, All of these entities know exactly what you are doing because in order for you to get the stuff you're trying to get, 
they these entities have to know where to send it. Oh, so, right, right. This is so, you know, up to and including the website that you're accessing, they know who you are as well. Right. Yeah. At least they know the IP address. Oh, well, yes. And okay. they know they know what network it's going to. So really, it's it's, you know, you can't hide your IP address perfectly because if you did, no information would ever come back to your computer. Now we uh we do have an interesting fact here uh and by interesting I mean disturbing so I'll just go ahead and ask MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season and guess what so are we just in case you forgot I'm Tori Deal I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion and I'm Anissa Ferrer and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How much information does someone, a company or a government or whomever, need about you before they can figure out who you are? All right. This is uh, kind of fascinating. Did you ever hear the story about how Target had identified a customer 
as being pregnant. It was a, uh, it turned out to be a young lady, mm-hmm. a teenager. And so Target. Many pregnant people are ladies. That would, Sorry. that would be Please true. Continue. That is true, Lauren. Thank you. Uh, is a good point. A young lady pregnant. Mm. Uh, <laughs> parents don't know. Parents right. don't know. Parents don't know. She has not told them. Uh, and Target starts proactively sending her offers for things that a pregnant lady wouldn't possibly need. And uh, her father found the the offers and got very upset, saying, "Like, why is Target sending this unsolicited stuff? What do you What are you saying about my daughter? Yeah, raised a big fuss about it. You have offended my dignity. And, That's how I picture him speaking. Yeah, so it was a, a southern gentleman from mm-hmm. the the fine city of Savannah. He apparently. went up, yeah, he went up there with a white glove and just slapped the front door. Yeah, <laughs> I challenge you, I challenge your entire organization to a, a duel. duel so. Yeah, no, that's not exactly what happened. But he did raise a fuss, <laughs> right? And then later wrote a second, a follow up message saying. Mm. I had a talk with my daughter. It turns out that I did not, I was not aware that she was mm-hmm. pregnant. But this raised the, the point of how did Target know? What was it that gave Target the information? How did they predict this? Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, it had, the company had been watching her purchase patterns yes. and determined that statistically speaking, she was very likely pregnant. And so this is an illustration that you don't have to have actively shared some information about yourself for an entity or a person to draw conclusions about at least your what your physical state is or what your uh, your state of mind might be, even if it's not your specific name and identity. Right. It could be enough to be able to single out who you are from a level that's separate from my name is Jonathan Strickland and I live in Atlanta, right? Oh, we just found you. That actually would be very easy. <laughs> there, right, there are probably very few relatively. Jonathan Stricklands living in Atlanta. There might be a few because yeah. I know there are a lot of other Jonathan Stricklands. I, Lauren Vogelbaum might be the easiest yeah. to ping directly. You might of be the able three to, to, to zoom yeah. in pretty quickly. At any rate. So the real answer to this question, according yeah. to research specialists, is that 33 bits of information called bits of entropy okay. in this, in this identification business are required in order to narrow it down to a specific person out of all the people on earth. And and these these bits of information can be anything from from your gender yes. to the type of car you drive to, to your zip code mm-hmm. to like like it doesn't have to be the same 33 bits in order it could be any 33 bits and bit in this case means something specific. Like, like in the computer world we talk about digital uh, you know, these binary digits, the, that's sure. what a bit is. It's yeah. either a zero or a one, which you could think of as either a no or a yes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, some bits, some pieces of information represent a single bit. Like gender is considered to be a single bit. T- putting gender discussions aside, for m- for many people, this would be male or female. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. That that obviously oversimplifies things. But for the By purposes, far, yes. purposes for identification, Male, female tends to be uh, the way that they look at a very black and white kind of approach. Right. That represents one bit. Something like your zip code might be several bits of information. I see. That would make up just one zip code. But all it takes is 33 bits. Some of those bits might be connected to a larger concept, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. The, your model of car, uh, the specific region you live in, whatever it your is. Your age. yeah. Your age. That's mm-hmm. another good one. Uh, but all you need are 33 bits worth of this information to be able to identify. And the reason for that is you take this yes or no. That's a base of two, right? You've, right. you've got two options. You take that two. Then you have the 33 different bits. That's two to the power of 33. If you work that out, that ends up being more than 8 billion. Two to the 33rd power is more than 8 billion. There are 7 billion people. On Earth. Wait, we've got made up people in this. <laughs> it means that we have more than enough information <laughs> know, to right. uh, to account for the seven billion people who are actually alive. So uh, right. if you the idea is that with those 33 bits, you can then have enough personal identifiable information to narrow it down to a specific individual. And also, it's devilishly easy to forget that what you're putting out on the internet personally identifies you, right? People sure. People say all sorts of things that they imagine are innocuous. I mean, Twitter is in the Congressional Library now. Yep. 
Yeah, you can get an entire, you can download an entire Twitter history, uh, which is, for some of us, quite a large file, as it turns out. <laughs> I think I have more than 17,000 tweets. So, um, I clearly am not as, as, uh, worried about anonymity as some people are. Uh, perhaps that is a foolish thing on my part, but, uh, there's an interesting example of this as well. Researchers at Stanford and the mm-hmm. University of Texas were able to identify Netflix viewers based upon their activity. And part of that was because these are the same, these viewers would do things like leave reviews for movies on other sites. Whoops. And just by looking at this stuff that does, you wouldn't think would personally identify you, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just, it's just you, your opinion about a movie. It's not, hey, I, uh, I happen to be five foot whatever. I'm not <laughs> telling you. Yeah, but they, but the point being then is that there's, uh, there, there's some puzzle solving that can happen very easily, right? Yeah. Because they say, oh, um, anonymous user A watched this thing on Netflix at this time. And yep. then, oh, surprise, shortly thereafter, anonymous user, Oh wait, it's anonymous user A, and they said that this was. They gave it three stars, and yeah. look what they did on Netflix. Like, like this, this anonymous user A watched a uh, a particular movie at a particular time. Mm. This other person, whose identity we know, left a review on IMDb, and based upon the time between these two events, we're reasonably certain that anonymous user A is this person we know. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season, and guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And anonymous user A is completely wrong about Big Trouble in Little China. Which That's is what an amazing the, movie. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> it is not a, it is not a good, bad movie. It is a good, good movie. Because he's the sidekick the whole time. You got, yeah, anyway. Pork Chop Express. Come on. Right. So what is the tour project about you guys have done a uh, you guys done a podcast on this uh, Matt and I have done some videos but we've never done a full podcast on it so it it's tour you know kind of stands for the onion router it's really its own name now it's just tour uh sure originally the onion router was based on the idea that um it's encrypting things in layers yes so that you would go uh an information from point a to point Z, let's say, would go through all these different layers, and between each layer, things would get encrypted in a different way. So from layer one to layer two, it would get encrypted. Layer two to layer three, it would get encrypted. Layer three to layer four, it'd get a different level of encryption. Mm-hmm. And and furthermore, uh, each each layer, each node in this connection mm-hmm. only knows the node before it and after it. Which is key. It doesn't know the entire chain. Exactly. Ah, I see. So the idea being that the, this node, this series of nodes makes a circuit. That circuit is com- connecting your computer running a Tor browser mm-hmm. to whatever site or whatever information you were trying to retrieve. Uh, but that circuit of nodes has very limited information in any individual piece of the overall circuit, right? So if you identified that there's one node in this network and you see that information is coming from uh, the node immediately preceding it and it's going to the node following it, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to reconstruct the rest of the circuit. That's all the information you would be able to get. So if there are like six nodes in this circuit and you've identified node number three, you can only see that information is coming from node two and it's going to node four. You wouldn't be able to see where node one, five or six, where those are in that circuit. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to see the, the original sender or the intended receiver. And right. hopefully if it's encrypted well enough, you wouldn't be able to read the message either. Exactly. Because, again, it gets encrypted between each node in that circuit. Uh, it sounds pretty secure, right? Yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty cool. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, well, the, as it turns out, there are ways to try and figure out who is trying to access what. So, uh, so in this world where you're looking at all these connections that mm-hmm. get hidden because it's traveling through all these nodes, right. you might be able to see all the potential start points and all the potential endpoints, but you don't really know which people are trying to access which sites or okay. which servers. Uh, however, if you were to be able to analyze all the traffic across the network and build enough of a statistical model, you could start weeding people out and start looking at the potential people going to the potential endpoints. Uh, you could play the uh, something like the target game. You could use big data to uh, analyze and then maybe even predict. Yeah. So essentially what you're – this is really oversimplifying it. But essentially you might see that uh, – that let's say person A, mm-hmm. the anonymous A, is trying to access Silk Road, okay. all right? And so you see anonymous, anonymous person A's connection light up. It then goes across these nodes, which mix everything else up. And you are already looking at Silk Road. So you, you are specifically, you've already identified the potential target and the potential destination, and then you see that the Silk Road one lights up in the amount of time you would expect for this message to have to transfer it's across these across, nodes. Right. Then you'd say, aha, this is a potential hit. And then you continue to analyze traffic. This can actually help de-anonymize. Uh, I can't even say it. Uh, how would de-anonymize? You say? Thank you. There you go. 
anemone, de-anemone <laughs> the, uh, the network. <laughs> right. Okay. So, but no, it really is. This is a potential way where you can figure out at least which connection was trying to connect to which server. Uh, and it just, it steps back from the actual circuit entirely. And it may not be enough to move on a person, you know, with full legal backing, but it might be enough to convince you to really look into that person more closely. So there's really no safe harbor for complete anonymity on tour. Because if somebody wants to find you, or if they want to find find the needle in the haystack uh, with enough diligence, they can? Well, I mean, it would, it, it's at least possible for them to, for, for someone really determined and with the right resources to be able to start narrowing things down, right? Uh, certainly. And there, there are a few other problems with, with Tor. I mean, it, it's an open source thing. That's part of the way that the system actually protects itself in a kind of anti-logical yeah. sort it of It might way. seem counterintuitive, but it really yeah. is because it means that anyone can, can go in and look at this. So if someone changes something or someone puts in a change, this is a community that's looking after the the okay, whole the whole product. So it's not something that would be easy to slip in uh without anyone taking notice of it. Um, um also its origins kind of raise some eyebrows to Ah yes, the origin from naval research, right? Yeah. Well I mean as it turns out, uh there are reasons why, say, a military organization would want to be able to send information uh, secretly or perhaps access information mm-hmm. in secret. Uh, and, even uh, within itself. Right? Yeah, even oh, within yeah. itself, even even apart from other organizations within that same government. Uh, when we talk about the NSA, there are other government organizations that are equally upset as, <laughs> as most of them. In fact, yeah, I think. quite a few that, like, yeah. you know, you know, there are citizens who are up in. Up, up all about this. I mean, they're very upset about it, as I think they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my own personal opinion. But, uh, there are government organizations. They're, they're working for the same people. Sure. Who are equally upset. There are wheels within wheels. Yes. Would be the X-Files line. I mean, you, you've got those, <laughs> you've got those great rivalries between the CIA and the NSA that date back to the, the beginning of both organizations. Right. That are yeah. Pretty phenomenal. And, uh, recently as we're recording this, uh, more and more information about, uh, what we would call friendly fire surveillance has leaked. Uh, people yep. who had not only the wherewithal, but the motivation to keep their communications private or anonymous, like congrat- members of Congress found that um, not only was the NSA, but the FBI as well, uh, monitoring their uh, monitoring their day to day emails and phone calls mm-hmm. and whatnot. The the thing that was was really important to underline here is that it's not inherently sinister to surf the web anonymously, and it's possible to do it, as we said in our earlier thing, but it's not really plausible. and uh, Not for a long-term solution. No, no, it's a once-off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we do tell you guys, listeners, in, uh, in Jonathan Lauren's show, we show you how, theoretically, you could uh, make yourself, if not impossible to trace, very, very inconvenient to do so. Right. Uh, right, but it's basically like... like- Burner phone, burner internet connection, burner face. Like, right. I, like you really Total have to disguise. go. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to pretty much be. Uh, you have to really limit what it is you want to do, mm-hmm. and you have to very much limit the way you do it. So, in other words, it's not like you can uh, just use that methodology to do everything you would want to do on the web. Because there's some cool stuff that's on the web that I love to do that there's just no way to do anonymously. Not, not truly. Right. Right. Like, can you really have a full Corgi watching experience if you can't log in and comment? That also yeah. is a reference to the Tech Stuff episode. You'll learn way more about Corgi obsessions in that show. I think it's enthusiasm. I don't think we've crossed the line into obsession yet. We're just That's very let me kind close of out that. a couple of tabs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so while Jonathan's closing out a couple of tabs, I do just want to set you guys up for one more big question. Um, if you, if you like our show stuff, then I want you to know, listeners, then, then you'll love tech stuff because, uh, they have also been talking about, uh, several different revelations, um, both, both with security and the nuts and bolts about how these kind of things work. So we highly recommend their show. And I have to ask you guys, since you're the ones with the know-how, um, 
If you had to guess or speculate, do you think that there would be more news forthcoming? Like the, the whole Snowden disclosure thing where he said, you know, he kicked down the door of the news organizations and said, they're spying on everybody. Uh-huh. I, is there anything else that would happen? Because it seems like that's the big reveal. Well, right? I mean, we only know what we know, right? There's, there's, it, you, you can bet a couple of things. Okay. You can bet that anything that has happened since Snowden has left is largely unknown to us because he was the source of the leak. So anything that has been done to address that or change things, evolve the technologies that's being used or, or to fine tune them in different ways or even apply them in even more broad applications. Uh, or, or to fine tune the process by which they make sure that other people don't leak their information. Yeah, all of that is unknown to us. So we can't really be sure what's going on. What we do know is just based upon the, the information that's been revealed so far, there already have been abuses of the system. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. Even if somehow you could agree that the NSA system is is on its own, maybe you could call it flawed, but it mostly works. Let's say that you even make that assumption. The problem is it's run by people. And people, as it turns out, are flawed, very much so. And some people will take advantage of having the opportunity to use such a powerful tool to do things like snoop on X. Girlfriends. Uh, yeah, and, and even if someone isn't doing it nefariously, there there could certainly be mistakes made. Yeah. So uh, yes. so there are a lot of issues that will probably come to light as we get more people uh, investigating this. Um, the interesting thing to me is really seeing how much movement we see in political circles to actually address this in a meaningful way, uh, because you do have lots of people. Uh, you have lots of representatives who are at least saying that they want yeah. more 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 uh transparency, transparency right because their constituents are demanding it right yeah oh they're they're kind of demanding it too i yeah. mean it yeah. sounds like yeah once they found out that they were also emails, included yes right. yeah. but uh there that's one of the big debates always is uh is it a matter of sincere offense or fashionable offense uh fashionable indignation and and that's something that i think we will see in the future uh with our listeners we'd like to we'd like to hear from you guys as well uh what do you think the the next big revelations about the internet would be um oh and here's one uh can you or have you surfed the web anonymously let's see if you could write in and let us know and still stay anonymous i don't know let's just see if it works uh in the meantime, I'd like to thank uh, Jonathan and Lauren. You guys, thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, I wish I knew what had happened to Matt. Uh, we haven't really said it on air, but I, if you want to go ahead and I actually, it. I can reveal at this point that Matt, in fact, was buried under a pile of corgi puppies. And he's, he's all right, but he's pinned and cannot move. He is the happiest that he has ever been, he, but he, he is stuck. He has been saying that I cannot breathe and that's okay uh, in various languages. It's weird. He actually is really fluent, but yeah, only in that polygon. one phrase. Yeah, he's really smart, but it's strange that he only knows that phrase. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe I'll go try to find him and get him out because we still need him for the show. Yeah, he, he's got some stuff he needs to edit, too. Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, those puppies are starting to get tired, and he just keeps on picking up the ones that are wanting to nap and putting them back on his stomach. So some, there's there oh, needs to be an intervention. Okay. I know the pile of puppies you were talking yeah. about. Okay, yeah. no, he's under there. Yes. Yeah. The third pile. Yes. No, oh, not the first two. Okay. No. Yeah, no, no, those are ours. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Um, as I said, guys, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and being our very special first guest. Uh, I'd also like to let listeners know that if you like this show, as you said, you'll enjoy Tech Stuff, but these folks aren't just on Tech Stuff. They are on another excellent podcast called Forward Thinking, that which is also a video series, and you can see all three of us, I think, at various points participating in everyday science shenanigans on a show called Brain Stuff. You can actually see all three of us in, in the episode about, uh, about yeah. product placement. Oh, well. Boy, <laughs> that one. 
I forgot about that. Shark Jaws. <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to see why they're laughing at me, you can check that one out, too. Uh, you can find StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com for every video and every podcast we've ever made. And, of course, we're all over the Internet. You can drop us a line with a suggestion or feedback on Twitter or Facebook. That's where we put a lot of the stories that don't make it into videos or podcasts. So do check it out. And if you'd like to cut past the social media rigmarole entirely, just send us uh, just send us an email at our address. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit testtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at conspiracy stuff. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.